In this episode of After the Honeymoon, the Smoochers find themselves in a familiar cycle. Every day begins and ends, just like every other day. Let's get the candles. Where are the candles? When was the last time we ate by candlelight? I don't know. But I remember what happened afterwards. <laughs> oh, Scott. Debbie and I were driving along the road recently and we saw a couple walking along the side of the road and I'll tell you they had a kind of a strange look on their face uh, she looked like she could put her head through a brick wall I mean she looked really mad really upset and angry and uh, had stiff motions as though they had been fighting. Her body was very rigid and stiff. And the man looked a little disgusted. It was his expression. But he was kind of walking a bit behind her. There was clearly a separation between them. But he kind of had this look of disengagement on his face. They looked like they had really just been having a spat. And Dev and I both, both saw them at the same time, kind of looked at them and made a knowing glance at each other, and I said, now they're married, right? And the truth is, if they had been laughing, enjoying one another, maybe holding hands, maybe he was patting her on the back or something, I would have concluded, oh, they're probably dating, right? What is it? What is it that happens to marriage after the months and the years roll by. We start off with this intense desire that, that brings us together, but desire leads to disappointment. Disappointment leads to discouragement, and discouragement sadly often leads to despair. And the fires that once burn brightly, the fires of our love, often have smoldered and become ashes. And the question we face today is, is there any way to rekindle romance? Is there any way to kind of resurrect a marriage once it has kind of grown cold? Well, some people would respond to that and say, no way. Absolutely no way. Once it's dead, once it's grown cold, there's no way to bring it back. There's nothing you can do. But I'm going to submit to you today that love can be rekindled. That romance can come alive again, that a marriage can literally be resurrected from the dead if, if we're willing to follow the will of God in our lives. Now, I think an important starting point for us today is to recognize the danger, the real danger for deterioration of love over time. You know, if a garden is not weeded, we all know what will happen. It will deteriorate, right? If a building is not carefully maintained, it will decline 
in value. If you do not maintain your car, your car's engine is not cared for, the performance is going to decline. And the same is true in marriage. In fact, I want us to put a statement here on the screen. I want you to carefully consider this. Any marriage that is neglected, and if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. And, and even though today we don't have an outline of Roman numerals or ABCs or 123s, uh, there are so many important things that you can jot down today if, if you're a note taker and if that helps you to learn. But any marriage that is neglected will deteriorate. Now, let's just leave that up there for a while. Because I don't think a lot of people understand this. You see, we think, well, if I'm just kind of neglecting my marriage, that's not really that bad as long as we're just not in an all-out war, right? As long as we just don't hate one another, as long as there's a little neglect, it's not a big deal. But listen, neglect is not a neutral. Neglect is a negative. We really need to understand that. We can't go on thinking that, well, it's just okay, it's a, it's a neutral thing. No, neglect is a huge negative in a marriage. And I think there's a tendency for us who've been married for a while just to kind of settle. We settle, that is, for a mediocre marriage. How does that happen? Oh, you know exactly how it happens, right? Life gets busy. There are often kids to take care of, responsibilities. And so we can begin to go through life, day after day looks the same, we just kind of accept things the way they are. Now I certainly hope we reach a place of godly contentment in our marriages, that's a good thing, when it's healthy. But I'm hoping today, and I've been praying all week, that God would stir up a holy discontent in our marriages and that we would never just settle, but rather that our prayer would be, we want God's best for us. That's what you would say as a husband, as a wife. We want what God has in mind. So I hope that all of us will be challenged today towards God's best because frankly, with the conversations I've had with so many people through the weeks, I know that some of you, honestly, feel discouraged. You really do. Maybe a better word for some would be your disillusion, really. It just hasn't worked out the way you thought it would. And, and quite honestly, you've thought about just kind of walking away from the whole thing and just throwing in the towel because times are so difficult. The following letter was written by a wife and was given to her mother. Here's what this wife, this young wife, writes to her mom. Dear mom, I'm trying hard to understand what's happened to my marriage. What I thought was a sure thing has fallen apart. And I'm starting to wonder if this is the man I was meant to marry. I mean, maybe I've missed God's will because being married isn't all what I thought it would be. I, I know that a lot of people have problems, but I was sure things would be different for us. Before we got married, it seems that we had so much in common, but now it doesn't seem like we agree on anything. I feel ripped off. 
He feels the same way. Last night, he told me that he feels like he's the victim of a bait-and-switch scam. We're both bitter and angry and frustrated. Mom, do you think that maybe the person God wanted me to marry is still out there somewhere? Because I'm constantly comparing him to others, and I, I don't know. Maybe I should just divorce and start searching again for my true soulmate. All I know, she writes, is that I'm deeply disappointed in my marriage, and I don't know what to do, but I know I can't live like this. And you know, that's precisely where some of you are. You don't know what to do, but you know you can't live like this. So what are we supposed to do in those moments? Well, first of all, I want you to know that if you're married, whether you realize it or not, whether you recognize it or not, when you got married, you stepped into a spiritual warfare. Now, here's, here's why I say that. And I know if you're kind of new to Christianity, that may sound like a very strange thing to hear me say. But here's what I mean. Marriage is not just this secular idea. It's not just this merely human idea that somebody came up with. Marriage is sacred. It's God's idea. And so anything that's sacred, trust me, the enemy of our lives, Satan wants to destroy it. And he's working overtime to do so. So, I just want to say to you, keep it real here, if you're approaching your marriage as if it's not spiritual warfare, then you're already an easy target because you're in a battle and you don't even know it. The popular Christian writer Max Lucado puts it this way. He says, Satan won't suddenly steal your home from you. He'll do something far worse. He'll paint it with a familiar coat of drabness. He'll replace the evening gowns with bathrobes and nights on the town with evenings in the recliner. And he'll substitute romance with routine. And he'll scatter the dust of yesterday over the wedding pictures in the hallway until they become a memory of another couple in another time. And that's exactly what has happened to so many Satan has stolen away the romance and the spark from your marriage. Now, please listen today. The opposite of passion is not contempt. The opposite of passion is apathy. It's just indifference, and, and that's where some of you are. There's no passion there, and you just really don't care that much anymore. And so for us to rediscover romance begins by understanding that we're in a spiritual battle. And I believe, I'm convinced, that God has something he wants to say to you today. You are here for a purpose. You're not here by some accident. You're here by divine appointment. God has a word he wants to speak. To you today. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced that if you listen carefully to God's word, listen carefully to the challenge of this moment, God can do amazing things 
in your relationships. So let's get started. If you have a Bible or a Bible app or however you read Scripture, please find Song of Solomon chapter 7. That's back in the Old Testament, somewhere toward the middle of your Bible. It's sometimes called the Song of Songs, but I more normally call it the Song of Solomon. Here's what's happening in the context where we pick it up. Solomon and his young bride have gotten into this tiff, this fight. It's not been a good season for them. They've gone through some conflict, and unfortunately, words have been spoken. They've said some things they regret. There's been some, some selfishness and pride that have set up shop in their home. Any of that sound familiar? Yeah, it happens doesn't it? But in chapter 7 here, where we're going to pick it up, it's time for a new day. It's time to rekindle the fires of romance. And so Solomon begins by romancing his wife, and she responds by romancing her husband also. We pick it up in verse 1. He's admiring her beauty here. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Let me paraphrase that for you. Oh, babe, you look good in those shoes. Your feet look good in those shoes. Now, can I make a confession? I've been married for 26 years, and I don't think I've ever just voluntarily offered that information to my dear wife. You know what I'm saying? So Solomon, he, he, he seems to be on to something here. I really like how your feet look in those shoes. How beautiful are your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Now, gentlemen, try that line sometime, guys, okay? Now, not right away. Let a few weeks go by so it sounds original, all right? But, but try that line out sometime. Now, here's what he's doing. Here's the point that I don't want you to miss. He's noticing her. Ah. And that is romantic. Can I, can I tell you, I'm going to be very autobiographical today in a number of places in this message. Something I'm learning, and I haven't learned it yet, so that's why I'm putting it in the present tense. I'm continuing to learn this it is one of the most romantic things I can do as a husband just to notice my wife. Just notice her. Just pay attention. So if you're writing notes down, write down that phrase, pay attention with about seven exclamation points. Pay attention if you're taking notes. That's what I want you to write down. Now, as you're writing that down, let me make another confession. That doesn't come naturally for me. I am just not good at that. That's the problem. This is the truth now. Deb can rearrange the furniture in our home, and I'll walk in, and I'll, I'll be like seven days will go by. A week later, after she's rearranged all the furniture, I'll go, Deb, is there, is there something? Something feels a little different in here. Did you move something around or whatever? She's actually done experiments in the past. She'll take pictures and just totally rearrange them just to see if I will notice. That's just the way I am. I have a handicap here, okay? I just kind of live in a world of thoughts, and a lot of these details, that's, I'm just oblivious to that. But let me tell you something. Rekindling the fires of romance, hear me, men and women, is going to challenge us to do some things that don't come naturally. 
And boy, that's one for me. Paying attention does not come naturally for me. But I need to learn that language of romance. And if we're going to become better at romance and rekindling the fires of romance, it's going to mean learning that language. He goes on here in verse 1. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of a craftsman's hands. Now, as you read through this, you'll notice what he's doing. He kind of begins with her feet, and he kind of goes up. He's helping herself see herself through his eyes, and that, again, is romantic. Can I tell you something that I know about this woman? She did not get up that morning. Listen now. She did not get up that morning, look in the mirror and go, ooh, babe, your legs look hot. They are like jewels, the work of a craftsman's hands. She didn't do that. But he's helping her see herself through his eyes. And the insecurity is being taken away. She's feeling more secure in the relationship. And by the way, if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. Security in a relationship is essential for romance to flourish. Trust me on that. James Dobson said, after several decades of working with men and women in marriage relationships and having all kinds of focus groups, all kinds of surveys, counseling literally thousands of people, he's discovered that most women in particular, it's true for men as well, but most women suffer from deep personal insecurities, especially as it relates to their body and their body image. You see why this is so significant? She didn't get up feeling that way that day. He's helping her to feel more secure about who she is. And he expresses his love, and that draws her heart. Him. By the way, there's something marvelously biblical about all this when you think about it. First John says that we love God, and then it gives a reason. Because, anybody know the reason? We love God because, right, he first loved us, is what Scripture says. And that's what's happening here. God said to us, look, I see value in you. I love you. And he expressed that love so powerfully in so many ways, but especially at the cross. And when we saw that love expressed, it drew our hearts in. And so that's what this husband is doing. Expressing his love, helping her see herself through his eyes. Verse 2. Oh, he's good. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Woo, your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Now, you know, I thought he was doing so well, but I think he just went off the tracks right there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He, he just went off the tracks. Here would be my encouragement to you men. If you're trying to affirm your wife's beauty and you're talking about her waist or her stomach, anywhere in the midsection, don't call it a mound of wheat, all right? Those, those words should never be used together is my advice, just saying, okay? I wouldn't do that if I were you. Now, it's so good we can chuckle about all this, but obviously Solomon is using some poetic language here. He's using this very metaphorical language that doesn't easily translate, right? 
into our culture. But nevertheless, we get the point. He's really trying as a husband to be romantic. And ladies, can I say something to you? Uh, if your husband is trying to admire your beauty and compliment you, even if he goofs up and calls your belly a heap of wheat, listen, give him credit. Give him credit. At least the dude is trying. Okay? He's making an attempt. Verse 6 goes on, How beautiful you are and how pleasing, O love, with your delights. And he's just trying to make it clear that she delight, he delights in her. And I'll save some of the more intimate verses there for you to go home and read tonight with your spouse. This stuff, believe me, makes some great bedroom reading right here. This is awesome stuff. Not just chapter 7, but the whole book of the Song of Solomon. So what are we learning here? We're learning that Solomon admires his wife's beauty. He helps her see herself through his eyes and makes it clear that she more than satisfies him. But, but this is interesting. As you keep on reading, it kind of then becomes reciprocal. And if you're writing notes down, ladies, I would want you to write this word down. Write down the word responsive, responsive. Here's what's happening. He takes the initiative, kind of takes the lead as the husband. He initiates this romance. He shows some leadership here in the relationship. And then she wonderfully responds to that. Many couples with whom I've spoken, it kind of becomes this horrible catch 22. A lot of men don't take the lead. They don't initiate romance. And so uh, she is not responding. And she's not responding because he's not taking the lead and not initiate. It just becomes this cyclical thing. And it's really a vicious cycle. Let me say a very personal word right now to married couples. Nothing drives a man towards passivity more than rejection. Nothing drives a woman toward passivity and disengagement more than rejection. Rejection is the opposite of response. But here, romance is really working because he's initiating, she's responding, and in verse 9, she says, May the wine go straight to my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. And so Solomon's wife doesn't just roll her eyes when he initiates. She, she doesn't say, excuse me, i got to make this call on my cell phone. She doesn't brush him off and continue to do her very lengthy to-do list. No, he's made himself vulnerable, put himself out there, He's made himself vulnerable to being hurt, and she marvelously responds by making herself vulnerable too. And she responds with passion. Verse 10, she says, I belong to my lover, and his desire is for me. That word desire, by the way, in the Hebrew is really interesting. It's a, it's a word that means to consume something. Just saying, we're drinking our fill of love here. In verse 11, she says, come, my lover, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. He initiates, and she's now responding 
by making a wonderful plan here. Can I paraphrase that plan for you? Let's go to the countryside. Look, dear, I've got a sitter for the kids. I've got someone to take care of the dog, all right? Meet me at the Marriott. I got a room booked for us. That's what's going on here. And one of the most romantic things a wife can do is simply communicate to her husband that he's wanted by showing this kind of creativity and planning. Verse 12, let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom, there I will give you my love. And throughout this book, there's all kinds of vineyard metaphors and so on. It's all meant to be speaking about the life and the lusciousness that is in this marriage relationship. Things have gone a little rough. They hit a rough spot, but now they're rekindling love, and it's time for a brand new beginning. And that's what I believe God wants for you. If you've hit either a place, a rough spot, or even a place of neglect where you definitely love one another, but you know what? It's just not been a lot of intentional investment for a while. By the way, I am always asked by couples to recommend books, good books for marriage, for relationships. And one of the books that I have recommended over and over again, it's a classic. I know many of you have read it. It's by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. By the way, couples, if you've never read that book, please get a copy and read it. If you have read it, it may be time to read it again. Here's the basic premise. We all have a way that we enjoy receiving love the most from our spouse. It goes on to say that we also have a way that we most naturally give love. And usually the way we love to kind of communicate love is usually kind of the way we like to receive it. But here's the challenge. Here's the challenge in marriage. Typically, we're married to someone who enjoys receiving love naturally in a way that's different than the way we naturally want to give love. And so therein lies the challenge. Therein lies the, the challenge of romance and continuing to build a relationship strong. We have to often learn a whole new language. We have to understand the language that speaks to our spouse fluently. I love you. We need to learn that language and speak it fluently. And so Chapman identifies five different key love languages and again, this is classic stuff. He talks about encouraging words, quality time. He talks about meaningful gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. And by the way, I would challenge you in this chapter we're studying today in the Song of Solomon, that three of those, three of those are represented and acknowledged right here in this chapter. One is physical touch. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But for the remainder of our time today, I'm going to suggest to you two love languages. I'm going to highlight them. I'm just going to lift up these two love languages. Remember, there are five that Chapman gives. 
But I want to highlight two of them, which I believe are kind of the X factors, if you will, if you really want to rekindle romance in your relationship. And those two, and I'm going to talk about them briefly and give you a challenge on them. Those two love languages are quality time and words of encouragement. In my estimation, those are the two X factors. Those are the two love languages that best help kindle or rekindle romance in a marriage. Now, let's talk first about quality time. It's clear here in chapter 7 of Song of Solomon that this couple has intentionally, in spite of all the other things they could be doing, they've decided to spend time together and invest in the romance of their relationship. And good romance, by the way, does require quality time. But now let me get a little personal. Because if you're anything like me, you like to kind of measure accomplishment when you're investing time in something. You, know, you like that? I'm, I'm really like that. I'm kind of eaten up with, with wanting to see results. You know what I mean? And I don't only want to be able to measure my effort, but I want to sometimes see an immediate measurement. So in other words, if I have two hours, guess what? I love to sit down and work on a sermon. Woo! I immediately, I immediately see the measurement of that. I can immediately be encouraged and see how that my investment of time has paid off. But do you know the problem with that in relationships? They don't work that way. And you don't always see the payback of that. You don't always, especially not immediately. In fact, you don't begin to see this cumulative effect of your investment sometimes for months or years. So you see, that's difficult for a person like me because I'm not wired that way. I told you earlier, we have to do things that don't come naturally for us if we're going to have a healthy marriage relationship. Another thing I tend to do when Deb and I are spending time together is, you know what? I, I'm a problem solver, right? Any of you like that? I'm kind of an analyst by nature. I love to hear about difficult situations, and baby, I love to solve them, right? Any of you that way? And so... If you're not careful, you'll be tempted to get together with your spouse, and in this supposed quality time you're spending, you'll be throwing out all these problems and trying to find solutions. But the difficulty with that is it's not romantic at all, right? There's nothing romantic about fixing problems. And yet, if you want to accomplish, then you want to fix things. You want to fix problems, but there's no romance in that. We have to learn a new language. Another thing that tends to be a struggle for me to learn is that quality time with my wife, with my family, is not just about proximity. Do you know what I mean by that? You see, for a long time I thought that, boy, I'm really doing well as a husband and father because I was there physically. I was present. I was spending time. But it's not just about proximity. You can be there in body, but your mind can be somewhere else. You can be thinking about church problems. 
You can be fixing situations. You can be ruminating on a message you've got you've to preach. There are all kinds of things. And the problem is we're sometimes there, but we're not fully there. Right? You're around, but you're not really present. I've been married long enough now and been a father long enough, though, to learn that I can see the cumulative effect of all of these years of investment, of all this time where I've been trying to learn. And, oh, it's enjoyable. It's not some drudgery. It's an enjoyable thing to do to see God working in your marriage and in your family. (coughs) So it may be that some of you need to have a conversation, some of you men perhaps with your wife or wives with your husband. And men, you may need to say to your wife, honey, I apologize for all the times that I've kind of been there, but I've not really, not really been present. And I I just need to say I'm sorry for all those times that, boy, we, we wanted to spend quality time together, but I spent all that time just trying to fix you or fix problems. That was so silly on my part. I apologize. I'm sorry for that. And I'm sorry for not honoring you by giving you the attention that you deserve. Because, honey, outside of Jesus, there is no doubt you are the greatest treasure in my life. And I want you to know. You need to have this conversation. And then you need to say, oh, dear, how beautiful are your sandaled feet. Right? And just let her know. So they make time for each other. And that is romantic. But the second and final thing I just want us to touch on, and this is very clear as you read through this chapter, romance is flourishing in this marriage and it will flourish in ours when encouraging words are being spoken. So Solomon and his wife are encouraging one another. Nothing kills feelings of romance more quickly than verbal rejection and criticism. And nothing breathes life into any relationship more quickly than affirmation and encouragement. If you do much research on marriage these days, the name of John Gottman and his wife will come up frequently. The Gottmans have done more research on marriage, frankly, than any couple I know. And Dr. John Gottman has written all kinds of books, and and they've tried to study scientifically what happens in relationships. Here's what I find interesting. They've discovered through numerous studies, as they study married couples, that there are these certain things that are so predictable, so predictable, you can almost... Just tell way ahead of time when a marriage is going to flourish and when it's going to tank and possibly end in divorce. And here's what they discovered. They said that couples who are happy and stay together, here's the ratio, there are five or less criticisms, five or less negative comments out of every 100 comments. Isn't that amazing? Couples that are doing great, that are flourishing and sticking together. On the other hand, in homes that split up where there are just an inundation of problems, the research shows that 10 or more criticisms are found for every 100 comments. What's the lesson? Your words really make a difference. So let me ask you, 
if you were counting, what would the ratio be in your relationship? You say, well, I'm not going to keep up. I'm not going to keep track of my comments. I'll keep track of his comments. You may be missing the point. Relationships flourish, especially romance flourishes whenever you're building one another up with your words. Another book that I think is amazing highlights the same truth. It's called The Carrot Principle. Some of you may have read it. It came out first way back in 2007, but it's just gone crazy in the business world. It's now been translated into over 20 languages, countries all over the world. Businesses, corporations are following the principle of this book. Here's what they concluded. They studied in a 10-year study 200,000 people in the workplace, and here's the conclusion, and I quote, They said that expressing appreciation and encouragement is the missing ingredient in the workplace. Expressing appreciation or encouragement. If you want to do one thing, leaders, that will totally change the culture in your school, in your business, in your workplace, start showing genuine appreciation and encouragement that's true in marriage as well the bible says that the tongue has the power of life and death so what would happen this week if you just once every day began to speak life into your spouse in fact that's our homework here's your homework challenge for this week at least once every day i'm just going to speak life into my spouse how am i going to do that I'm going to encourage and affirm him or her. There's the challenge I want to leave you with this week. One mom and dad were really struggling with their daughter as she was going through the terrible twos. And it seemed to these parents that they were always on their little girl's case. They were always having to reprimand her. She was adorable, really cute. But she was strong-willed and not easy to handle. Well, over a year later, they were still struggling with this, and the father decided to take a different approach. And so for his little daughter's fourth birthday, he took her out, just the two of them, father, daughter, and as they sat down at the table, he said, honey, your mom and I just love you so much. We're so proud of you. Sweetheart, we're so, so glad that you're our daughter. You are so gifted. Oh, we love the way you can speak so well. We love the way you think for yourself. Uh, We love the fact that you're organized. And he just went on and on lavishing her with encouragement and, and, and praise. He said, we can hardly wait to see what you become. And then when the dad had said every positive thing he could think of saying about his four-year-old daughter, he reached over to pick up his napkin, and his little four-year-old grabbed the back of her daddy's hand and said, more, daddy, more. You know, the truth is, we just can't get enough encouragement. That's the truth. And I challenge you this week to turn down the criticism and turn up the encouragement and I think you will be amazed. That's what this husband and wife are doing in Song of Solomon and romance 
is flourishing. Can I tell you what will happen if you take this challenge? Here's what will happen. It'll not only change the way your spouse feels, but here's the kicker. It'll change the way you feel about your spouse. It really will. Because you'll be focusing on what's right and good. Imagine if it's the Song of Solomon... He had decided to focus on criticism. Some of you are sitting there going, but pastor, I'm not good at that. That's not natural for me. I'm a lot better at noticing what's wrong with people. God help your spouse. Oh. No, imagine Song of Solomon if he had just picked on things that weren't perfect and just criticized. Romance would be gone. It would be a disaster. But it'll change the way, if you affirm, how your spouse feels. It'll change the way you feel about your spouse. Because the more you see it, the more you're going to see it. Let me say that again. The more you see it, the more you're going to see it. And you'll just choose to focus on what's pure and right and good, affirming all the things that you can truly affirm. And what you'll find is that your romance is beginning to come alive again. There's a lot of power in your words. And I challenge you this week to use those words to speak life into your relationship. Father, thank you for your goodness to us and that we love you because you first loved us. You spoke words of life to us. You said, I love you. You said, you're valuable You decided to focus on what was redemptive. Help us to do the same in all of our relationships. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.